Well, we've been looking at the prophet Elisha now. I'll try and get that right. That's my goal. This message, I can just get their names right, not say the wrong one. And so um, looking at the prophet Elisha, um, we left off last week in 1 Kings 19, how Elisha received the mantle from uh, his master, from Elijah, and then he went and he honored his father and mother. He made that sacrifice, um, that consecration to the Lord, and then he followed Elijah in the way. Um, We mentioned that Elisha was known for a specific quality, one who poured water on the hands of his master. And so he was, you know, he just had that quality of just serving and being a servant, and that's what he was known for, his reputation. And so people saw that. And it's interesting that we really, we hear nothing about Elisha till five chapters later, till Second Kings in chapter two, when Elijah's taken up into heaven. And during that time, he just served. He, you know, probably didn't do anything remarkable. He just watched his master do things and God speak through him and just kind of absorbing it and so forth. And it's hard to tell, you know, it's kind of like looking at scripture. How, how, do you, how long was he doing that? But it's, it's kind of difficult to tell. Some people have estimated it around seven years where he just kind of followed Elijah around serving him. So quite a long period of just learning and being a disciple. But in Second Kings chapter 2, we come to the point where Elijah is going to be taken up to heaven. And now that transition is taking place and... But as you read it, it's kind of like you come to this point in the story and you you see what is happening and you just kind of say, hmm, that's different. For why, what is being said that way and so forth. I mean, um, from our perspective, you think it's, isn't it kind of straightforward transition? Well, God told Elijah that he was to anoint Elisha to take his mantle and to, you know, take over from him when he goes on. And I think he knows from the Lord that his time is about over. And so, uh, you know, you think, okay, Elisha, ready or not, here you go. You're going to be, you're going to be the the prophet. But as we're going to see, the transition was not as simple as that. God was doing some work in that transition period because we, we see in second Kings, how the master said some unexpected things to his disciple. So let's read this together in 2 Kings 2, verses 1 through 2. And it came to pass when the Lord would take Elijah up into the whirlwind by heaven. That's something to note. He knew. How'd you you like that? (laughs) Well, I know I'm about to be taken up into a whirlwind, so I'm going to go on a journey. And so, but that was the, the level of faith and relationship that Elijah had with the Lord. Of course, the Lord had purposes for him too. His, you know, his purposes aren't done. They're still to come. But, uh, and so at, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal and then sent, uh, then Elisha said to Elisha, tarry here, stay here, I pray you, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, as the Lord lives and as thy soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went to Bethel. And so we see here kind of a surprising situation. Instead of a normal transition like we'd think of where 
Elijah would lay hands on his disciple and kind of impart what he had into his disciple and say, I'm going to heaven. Good luck. You know, <laughs> you can you, you can walk with God and <laughs> I'm praying for you in heaven or something like that. You know, I mean, I'm not going to be here anymore. But that's not what we see. Instead, we see three instances where Elijah says to Elisha, stay here. I'm going on. I'm going to go on and meet God. You stay here. And that's kind of surprising because, you know, you would think in, in our natural minds, I don't want to discourage you from following God. But here we see something happening where, and maybe we can call it a holy discouragement. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, there, before we get, kind of get into the significance of, of that in these places, you know, we said previously that Elisha is a type of the last day church. Right? That's, it's the, um, and we know that in the last days, the church is going to become a glorious bride of Christ. She's going to be perfect. She, the glory of God is going to shine through her as never before. And, you know, she's going to be purified, perfected. It's hard to think about that now. <laughs> it's better not to think about that. We just, Lord, by faith, I believe your word. <laughs> you know, we can't think of the natural and all the, how we're going to get there. It's going to be a miracle. But God is going to do an amazing work in the days to come. And it's exciting to think that how we can have a part of that, how we're coming into the season where God is going to move in his church in such a way. You know, I was listening to one of the teachings of Pastor Bailey, and he said he had a vision of Elisha. So I was like, oh, he had a vision of Elisha. And he, in the vision, he didn't see his face. He just saw his body. And he said that it, it was a body that had been washed and purified by the fire of God. And he said, and it was a perfect vessel for the power of God. That's a picture of the church in glory and the power of God flowing. Right? A, a body that's been washed and purified by the fire of God. So it is now a vessel where the power of God can flow out. And we know that that did. As we'll look in Elisha's ministry, his power flowed out in a magnificent way. And then the Lord spoke to Pastor Bailey in this vision. He said, that is what I want in these last days. My people to be so washed, so purged by fire, that they are a clean vessel in which the power of God can reside. And so we can understand that God has this unusual situation where he's testing and cleansing and you know, working in the heart of Elisha to make him God's chosen vessel to f- so power can flow out. And if he's doing that in Elisha, we can expect him to do that in our hearts. And, on the, and in the church of the last day, I think just as God worked in unusual ways in Elisha, he's going to work in unusual ways in the church. Maybe ways we have not thought of or seen or, you know, like... Like the Lord said to Israel, I'm leading you in a way you have not been before. He was leading them into the promised land where they were going to face giants. But he enabled them. And, and, but they had to submit to the, the trials, the wilderness, the, the things. And that the, 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 the young generation did it. The older generation, they didn't get the message. 
they couldn't enter in, but but God is going to do that in his church. So his glory can flow. That's what we need. We want the glory. Then we need to say, Lord, make me ready. Like you've made Elisha ready. Well, let's look at what God was doing in Elisha. Stay here. <laughs> and that's a surprising phrase, right? Stay here. I'm going on. Now, we wouldn't want to say this to any Christian. Just stay where you are. I'm going on with God. I mean, but we realize God was trying to provoke something in Elisha. God and, and Elisha, his master Elijah wasn't saying, uh, Maybe I've changed my mind. You're not going to be my, my you're not, you're not going to take over after me. You just stay here. It was as if he was giving him that holy discouragement, that choice. I'm going a difficult way. You might as well stay here unless you want some difficulty and you're willing to accept it and you're willing to pay the price. You're willing to take up your cross and follow me. And we know Elijah, Elisha's response was, I'm going. Don't tell me no because... I'm going anyway. And we could, as I mentioned, we could term this holy discouragement where the Lord's testing spirits, testing our resolve to reveal our level of desire for him and to provoke a response. Sometimes, you know, you know someone, they, they really want it, but sometimes you want to provoke, or I should say, we, we don't do that. The Lord wants to provoke a response. Are you really going to follow me? Are you really going to keep your eyes on me in the midst of a time of discouragement, a time of difficulty, a time where it looks bleak? Are you still going to have the response of Elisha? Don't even say that because I'm going on. I'm going on. And really, this is one of the greatest tests of life. Will we keep our eyes on Jesus? Will we keep our eyes upon him and go where we see him walking? You can see this illustrated in many places in scripture. You know, I think we, we talked about it with the prophet, well, the prophet, with the apostle Stephen, the deacon Stephen in Acts. You know, the, he was standing before the Jewish council and they were hurling all sorts of accusations and threats and everything. His eyes were just on Jesus, set on heaven, and he saw the Lord standing up, and he was filled with glory. There's another illustration we can consider. Of the, It kind of illustrates that choice. What are we going to keep our eyes on? It's in the book of Ruth. Now, in the book of Ruth, there was the, the mother Naomi, and she had a husband and two sons, and as she went, during a famine and dwelt in the land of Moab, uh, she had a difficult time because her husband died and then her two sons died. And all she had left were, were the two daughter-in-laws who were Moabites who had married her sons. And so now after all of that's taken place, she hears, well, the famine has gotten better in Israel, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back. And so she says to her two daughter-in-laws, stay here. Just stay here. What do I have to offer you? I can't give you any more sons. I can't offer you anything that's worth following me. Just stay here. Your life will be easier if you stay here. And that was a very true statement. If they followed her to Israel, they were going to be strangers. They would always be different. 
you know, that marriage would be a more challenging because they were strangers and so forth. They, their family was in Moab. The easy way is stay here. And that's tr- so true in life. Stay where we are. Because going on is not, not easy. But look at what it says of the reaction of these two daughter-in-laws. In Ruth 1 and verse 14, both of them lifted up their voice. I forgot to say their names. Ruth and Orpah. Ruth and Orpah. They lifted up their voice and they wept. I mean, they were sorry. They loved Naomi. They were sorry to hear that. They, and they wept. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, basically goodbye. She just kissed her goodbye. But Ruth clave unto her. And that's the difference. Orpah, when she heard that, she said, oh, that's, I'm so sad to hear that. Goodbye. And she went back to her family. But Ruth, it was a, quite a test. Right? We talked about she's going to be a stranger and so forth. And, but she saw something in Naomi, in her life, and in the God she followed. And she wanted that for herself. She wanted to be a part of that. And so her reply was, was the same as, as Elisha. Don't ask me to stay. My people will be your people. Your God is going to be my God. And she held on to that and she wouldn't let it go. Even in the midst of that discouragement. And, you know, that was a similar situation of holy discouragement. It's as if God orchestrated that situation to give her the opportunity to stay. But you know, God can very easily and will most likely orchestrate situations like that in our lives where following him is the hard path. And, you know, there's an easier path that seems like, man, that sure would be a lot less trouble and difficulty and so forth. And that's, there's that fork in the road that we face. Which way do we go? And it's like, if that's the way of God, why is it so discouraging? But you know, the purpose is to test our heart, to test our, our desire and reveal something. You know, sometimes we can get to that fork in the road. Well, I kind of know that's the way of God, but there's something in me that doesn't want to do that. Yikes, that's scary. Lord, <laughs> change me. Lord, do something in my heart that I will desperately desire to follow you and do whatever it takes, that I'll be willing to pay whatever cost it is. Sometimes God puts us in seasons of discouragement or doubt or so forth, but perhaps it's, it's to provoke a response of faith in our hearts. I will not stay. I will not go back. I will follow you. And Elisha had that response, not one time, not two times, but three times. And so we can understand that there's multiple seasons in life that we go through where God tests us and you know really it's just for that single purpose to purify our hearts to purify our motives to give us a heart to follow him sometimes we don't get that heart until we realize i need it i need that heart lord give it to me lord give me a new desire to to read your word and to follow you and to do whatever it takes cleanse away these things that are holding me back the weights that so easily beset us as paul says i will follow you and then, it, you know, that provokes something in us. And so we want to prepare for that. 
for those situations. And you might ask, well, how do you prepare for that, right? If you know they're coming, how do you prepare? You know, it's, we've considered this several times now with the man Ezra, Ezra 7.10. He was a man who prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it and to teach in Israel his statutes and judgments. He didn't know what exactly he was going to face in his walk with God, but it was as if he made a determination in his heart. Lord, I'm going to follow you no matter what, no matter what situation, no matter how hard it is. Now, we don't do that boastfully. I'm going to follow God no matter how hard it is. That's, Peter kind of fell into that, that little trap there. But we're, we say that with great humility, crying, realizing that as, we, as we're walking that, we're going to be crying out for grace every day. Grace, grace, and more grace. And so he made that decision. And basically he's saying, I'm just deciding now to say yes. I'm preparing my heart that when this situation comes, I've already decided, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I have to. I don't have another decision. Or I don't have another option. And so coming back to our story of Elisha, the mass, his master said, stay here. And the first time was at a town named Gilgal. And in scriptures, Gilgal represents circumcision. It's where the new generation of Israelites came into the land and they were circumcised as they came out of the wilderness. And of course, as you know, New Testament believers, God is looking for this in our hearts, but he's looking for the spiritual circumcision. Now, there are areas, you know, that the Scripture mentions. Uh, actually, I was kind of looking this up. There's three areas that the Bible mentions about spiritual circumcision. Our heart, our ears, and our lips. Three areas that God says, these things need to be circumcised. And he wants to come in. And so there's, we could say there's going to be many experiences, you know, there was that culminating experience at Gilgal, but it represents many times where God comes in and says, oh, I need to cut that off your tongue because that thing's bothering you whenever you're facing a situation and you're saying those things or your heart or, you know, circumcise your ear so you can hear my voice and remove those blockages. Basically, it means God comes and removes what's hindering us. What's keeping us from following him, from doing his will, pleasing his heart. Wrong motives, wrong desires, wrong reactions, weaknesses. And so in reality, I mean, no one looks forward to surgery. No one says, yay, I get to have surgery. But everyone looks forward to a positive outcome from surgery. And that's, that's the thing. How would you like to go to a surgeon who has a 100% success rate? I would go to him every time. Well, that's our great position. If we submit our heart to him, there's a 100% success rate when he applies his knife to us. And then we can look forward to the restoration of whatever function we need after that surgery. He can set us free. And so, you know, circumcision in, in a way is a new level of freedom, a new level of victory. Sometimes we can have things in our lives that we didn't even put them there. We just inherited them. 
We just, they just came there. Just a weakness passed along from one generation to another. And unless someone meets with God and breaks it, it just keeps going. And sometimes in spiritual ways, it can just keep going. Well, God is saying that can stop right here. It can stop right at this moment in our hearts. He can come and cut things out and remove them. And so I'm so glad he's called the, the great physician. He can come and make us whole. He can perform the most delicate operations in our heart and make us whole. He can circumcise our ears so we can hear his still small voice. Our lips so that we can have the tongue of the learned. As it says in Isaiah 50, we can speak the, a word in season to those who are weary. You know, Moses said, Lord, and this is in Exodus 6 and verse 12. He said, Lord, how can I speak for you if I'm a man of uncircumcised lips? He needed God to meet with him in his speech. And God responded at another time and he said, well, I'm the one who made the mouth. I'll teach you what to say. I'll do the work. He needed God to meet with him in that area. And so really the key is to surrender to Gilgal because that'll set us free. To invite God to come in and say, Lord, oh, just come and remove these things. Come and, and deliver me from those, what's in my heart, my lips, my ears, my character, so I can go on with you. And so Elisha said, no, I'm not staying at Gilgal. I'm going to go on with you. And they went to another place called Bethel. And the meaning of this name is house of God, the house of God. And, and we see the significance of it way back in Genesis 28 with Jacob. And remember when Jacob was going to go stay with Uncle Laban and on his journey, he just said, this is a good place to sleep for the night. We're going to camp out. And he laid his head on a, on a rock for a pillow. I guess you take what you can get. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a super comfortable pillow, but, you know, he just laid down there and God met him. And he had that dream and he saw the ladder reaching to heaven and the angel of God, angels of God ascending and descending. And God promised Jacob, as he had with Abraham, that his seed would be great and they would inherit the land that he was in. But I want to look at what he says. Genesis 28 and verse 17 and then it says, he, Jacob, was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is the gate of heaven. That's quite something. I mean, he, he was seeing like basically the entrance of heaven to this. And, but this provoked a response from Jacob. Because in verse 20 and 21, he said this. Right? When he experienced God at Bethel, he said, And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God be with me and will keep me in this way, I'll give and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. So Jacob had a meeting with God at this place called Bethel. And he understood it. He saw it as the gateway of heaven. And when he experienced that, God spoke to him, and it caused him to make a commitment to God, to commit himself. If you be with me, I'll follow you. Now, of course, God doesn't have any trouble keeping his part. 
That's not the, the difficulty, right? It's us. We have difficulties keeping our heart fixed on him. And so that's the challenge. But, you know, the thought I was getting with this, with Bethel, is sometimes what will keep us, what will empower us and preserve us, is we just need a fresh meeting with God. We need to come back to Bethel. Lord, I need to come into your presence. I need you to speak me, speak to me. I need a word in this, in this situation, in this season. I need something that I can hold on to. That's a part of laying hold of the kingdom of God. You've got to have something to lay hold on. And when he quickens something to your heart, you know, it's, I mean, I know that we have the, the word in our, in our hands with the Bible. We can pick that up and we can physically hold on to it. But, you know, we need something in our hearts. Something that's quickened. Because we, we can read this all day long, but we need something in our hearts to hold. And it's, that becomes real to us. God spoke to me on that, in that experience, and I'm holding on to that. And it did something in me. It changed my eyes, changed my perspective, changed my desires. Lord, I need to, I need to meet the God of Bethel. I need a fresh word, a fresh promise. Because I'm about to enter a new season or a new challenge. And I need to meet with you. And so Bethel speaks of the desire of God for his church in the last days. It's the gate of heaven. Where his angels are going back and forth. And so it kind of speaks of you know, just the glory of God. It's, it's an open heaven. Revival. And you know, we know that in the church we're going to experience a new level of glory. And the age we're coming to. But we, in one sense, we don't have to wait for that. We don't have to say, well, and in revival... We'll, we'll experience glory. Yes, that's true, but you know, God wants to meet us now. He wants to empower us now. He wants to give an experience that will keep us, empower us to walk and to go on with him. Another city. As he, of course, Elijah said, stay here at Bethel. I'm going to Jericho. And he said, no, I'm going with you. So they went to Jericho. And something interesting about Jericho is it's called the city of palm trees. It says that a couple times in the Old Testament. Now, palm trees, you know, just kind of looking at this one thought, is palm trees usually stand up straight. If there's straight trees, it's usually the palm trees, and they sit up nice and straight, you know, go and they kind of reach up unto heaven. At least that was the perspective they had. They were probably the tallest things they saw back in the day, at least the, the tall versions anyway. You know, and so they can speak to us of those who are straight, those who are righteous. And so coming from Bethel, from the presence of God, from the anointing and moving in the spirit, that's good. You know, we, we want that. It, it refreshes us. It, it strengthens us. It encourages us. But, you know, God gives us his presence for a purpose. It's not just to experience and feel good in his presence. It's to empower us to come to Jericho where we move on into that place of righteousness and where we can stand for him and do what's right, even in the midst of difficulty. So as we meet God at Bethel, we develop a hunger and thirst for righteousness and we go on to walk in that. God moves us in that where we have to stand for him and sometimes stand alone for him. You know, back in the olden days, when they wanted to 
uh, use a tree for something and have a really strong tree, they would they would go in the forest and find that, and then they would cut down. It seems like kind of an expensive process, but they would cut down all the trees around that tree and expose it to the elements. So it would just be kind of barren around it, and just this tree would be standing there by itself. It would be exposed to the storms and the wind and all that stuff. But what it would cause it to do is it's grow its roots down really deep, and it would strengthen the fiber of that tree. And then what they do is cut that down, and that would be the mast for some of those really tall sailing ships. And if your mast breaks, you're in trouble. So they wanted the strongest tree possible. And so they would make that tree stand alone. That's what strengthened it. it. took a lot of work to make one, but then it was strong. But, you know, God wants to do the same thing in our lives to make us strong. So sometimes we have to stand and do what's right, do what he's asking us to do, and it's difficult to do that. But when we do that, he's working the, his ways of righteousness in our heart, a love for righteousness a hatred for wickedness. He's working in us to make us like that righteous palm tree to stand there for him. And so God wants to take us to Jericho, the city of palm trees. That's kind of a neat thought. It's a city of palm trees. And I was just kind of thinking about how we're all going to come to God's new city, his heavenly city in the days to come. And it's the new Jerusalem and, and f- I think we're going to come and find that it is filled with those who have stood alone for him. They've stood in righteousness. They've had to make that stand for him. And truly, that will be a city of palm trees as well. But then they come to the final place, Jordan. And we could say a lot about what Jordan represents, but I, I just want to simply look at it as a line of separation between everything else and the promised land. It represents for us as Christians of going within the veil, dwelling in the very presence of God, moving on from the holy place as we could talk about in the tabernacle into the most holy place. Now, of course, both men, we are studying our examples of those who lived in the presence of God. They both would often declare, the Lord God before whom I stand as if they were standing in his presence. And so Elijah says to uh, says this in, in 2 Kings 2, 6 and 7, he says, Tarry here again, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and as thy soul lives, I will not leave you. And so the two went on, and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they stood by Jordan. It's interesting that there were 50 other prophets. Right? They were the prophets of God. They knew Elijah was going to be taken up because they said it in a verse earlier. But they stood afar off. And that kind of reminds us a little bit of the two and a half tribes, right? They they were going to cross the Jordan. They came to Moses and said, we kind of like where we are here. This is, this is a good land. We're, you know, can we stay here? You guys go in. We'll help you fight the battles, but then we're going to stay right here. They were content to dwell on the other side of Jordan. You know, in the holy place, there is an anointing. There is the, uh, an aspect of his glory and, and the word and the power of prayer and so forth. And these were anointed prophets, but only Elisha determined to go over Jordan. 
Only Elisha determined to go within the veil and to live in the presence of God. And you know, that's what each of us face. Each of us has, as a Christian, has that opportunity. Am I going to go through the veil? And for time's sake, we can't talk about everything that represents, but, you know, basically, am I going to take up my cross every day of my life and follow you and live in your presence? And so he followed his master. And Elisha took his mantle and he smote the, the waters of Jordan. And they parted and they walked on dry land. Now there's a change. Instead of discouragement, there's encouragement to ask. And he says this in verse 9. It came to pass when they were gone over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask now what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from you. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit come upon me. So Elisha asked for the double portion of the anointing that was upon his master. And Elijah was taken up in the chariots of God unto heaven. And and Elisha goes out with a new anointing to minister to Israel. Now, there's a lot that we kind of saw. We we went covered a, a fair bit in in Elisha and his this period of his life. Even though it was kind of a short time, you know, he probably just walking from these different cities unto a certain place where God would take his master. And he would be a, his mantle of his master would be imparted unto him. But the thing that stands out really to me is these holy discouragements that God was doing because they speak to us and represent things that God is going to do in our lives. In fact, we can expect that if we want to be those who cross Jordan and go into within the veil to be those who live in his presence, then we can expect experiences such as these. Times where we'll pass through and say, Lord, why are you allowing such a discouraging season? But it's doing a work dealing with areas of our heart to meet with us at Gilgal to circumcise us to set us free from things we are born with wrong desires and so forth so that we can go on then Bethel where we can cry out to God receive a fresh meeting with him Jericho where he enables us to stand alone in righteousness and then finally Jordan where we pass over into the promised land glory land as it's also called well it's been i don't know if that's in scripture but people say going on to glory land but it represents his presence the fullness of his promises and so you know just in closing maybe sarah can come up and play a little bit and we can sing and i want to come back and just pray that god would lead us in these ways in our lives enable us to follow him. You know, I mean, we can look at this, but it's only God that enables us to walk in this pathway. And as we say yes, and we open our hearts and respond, he can purify us, cleanse us, enable us to be a part of his glorious company of those who have followed him all the way to the end of our journey. Amen. So let's just stand together and we can worship the Lord and I'll just come back and pray.